So who, who, who was scraping ice off their windows this morning? Yeah? How about that? Ah, um, um, but we're okay now, aren't we? We're warm now, aren't we? Yes? Ah, it's great to see you. Um, um, where do I begin? It's always the beginning, isn't it? You hear me say this all the time, but generally it is. It's always the beginning that I'm... Where do I start? Um, let's pray, shall we? There's some people we need to pray for. Um, many of you over the past month, uh, well, a little bit more than a month, have met a, a new friend. He's a new friend of me. His name is Carl. Um, he's up in Perth at the moment. He's having some... Uh, is, it, is he having surgery or is he having treatment? Are you telling you energy, Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly we continue to pray for Wendy. We continue to pray for Max. Max is in hospital, I believe. Um, he, he's, he, if, if, if any of you get his uh, text messages, he's, he's like this caged animal. <laughs> Did you get that one yesterday where he says, Freedom! Freedom! They let him out of the. They let him out into the into the um, to walk him on the lawn somewhere there out near the hospital. But um, but uh, we can pray for these guys because because we know the confidence that we have in our heavenly Father, and we know we know the comfort that He brings to Lord, not only not only these people but to all of us, and knowing that it's in His hand, isn't it? You know, we, you know that, that song that we were singing, where it said, you know, was um, quoting from the life of Joseph, you know, where Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You know, what, you know what that statement says? That statement says that God's in control. That's what it says. That God's in charge. That no matter what circumstance we may find ourselves in, whether it be dark or light, no matter whether it be a struggle, whether it be simply a time of rejoicing, whatever it is, God's in control. God is the one who has brought us to that place for his purpose, for his glory, for the furtherance of his kingdom. And so we can know that we can pray with absolute confidence for our loved ones, that even those that are struggling to know that God is working and God is doing good in and around them. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? We serve a sovereign God, a holy God, the God of heaven and earth who goes before us. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we do. We thank you that you are, Lord, not only with us, but you go before us. And we think, Father, of our family, those, Lord God, that are struggling at the moment. And thank you, Father, for the power of your presence in their life. Thank you, Father, for the knowledge of knowing that you are working, Lord, all things for good and, and that you are bringing about your sovereign purpose and we and we do we pray for wendy and we ask lord god that that comfort that supernatural relief that you bring to her the confidence that you bring to her would only be strengthened this day as she knows your all sufficient grace for her life thank you for your healing hand upon her body father we pray the same for max lord that you would just continue to work that wonderful work of restoration within his body lord 
and uh, that you would just cause these two to rejoice. I know they are, to rejoice in your goodness, Father. We thank you, for, Lord, for the, that still small voice that speaks to us and speaks to them, to remind them that you are with them, to remind them, Lord God, that you, Father, are the, are the one who holds them in your hand, Lord, and nothing will take them from your precious hand. Thank you, Lord for who you are in their lives. And we ask now, Lord, that you be with Carl and he would know this confidence. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just supernaturally touch his heart and bring restoration, Lord, and bring wholeness according to your purpose in his life, Father. Bless him and keep him, we pray. And anybody else, Lord, that may be struggling right now, thank you, Father, for the power of your presence in their lives. Lord, and we give you thanks, Lord. We give you praise. Even as we rejoice in the good things that you bring to our lives, we just thank you, Father, that you are a loving Heavenly Father who will never leave us and never forsake us. How precious it is to know you. And we ask now, even now, Lord God, that your presence will be real to us as we, Lord, consider your word to our hearts. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, it's great to be here. It's great to see you. Um, so we're here again. If you're a visitor this morning, we are currently in a, which is turning out to be a, a length, a fairly lengthy series in, uh, that started with personal revival and moved into the idea of, you know, what, is it, what does this look like in the church of the individual believer? And what does it look like in the church of Jesus Christ? And so this, this, this series has become known as the Church Alive, you know. So, so what is it to be alive in Christ? And uh, what, is it, what does that look like? And how is that a testimony before the world around us? And simply asking the question, Lord, what do you want us to be in these days? What do you want us to be? And how do you want us to, to represent you in this world? And, uh, and, 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 we've, and each week we've been, we've been adding to that, we've been building upon that as we look at you know, what really are the fundamentals, the very basics of what it is to be a Christian in this world, looking to the return of a coming saviour. Why are we here? What is today about? What's the purpose of it? And uh, so we've been looking at these fundamentals and what it is to be a church that is alive. And so we've said this, we've said this is what we know. We know that we are God's children, don't we? We know that we are God's children, that he is our father, that we serve him. He is the God of truth. He is the one who has revealed himself to us, not only through his word, but through his son, Jesus Christ. And he is the one who is determined to set us apart according to his truth. He is sanctifying us by his truth. We know whose children we are. Isn't that right? Yes. We know whose voice we listen to. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And because we are listening for His voice, we are likewise children of prayer. We are a people, a community of believers that are dependent upon the very presence of the living God, acknowledging our complete and utter dependence upon Him. We earnestly, we wholeheartedly, we desire His presence and His purpose and His blessing in every aspect of our lives. We are a people of prayer. That's who we are. And because we're a people of prayer, we allow this great God of truth who we live intimate lives with to search us 
to search out our lives, to search out our hearts, to bring change where change needs to be, to be people who are actively seeking restoration with God, wanting nothing to separate us from Him and His purpose in our lives. And so we are a hungering people for His Word. We are a people who are longing for the illumination of God's Spirit to our lives. And the most important message that we have is the message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that atoning sacrifice, that great Gospel message that saves, transforms, glorifies sinful people and and makes them into Christ-like beings in this world to testify of the goodness of God to all of humanity. That's the message, the most important message that we hold in our hearts. Isn't that right? And Because this is who we are as Christians. We're dissatisfied with a complacent so-called spirituality that has no effect upon our lives outside the four walls of the church. We're finished with this shallow, superficial faith that has no influence within us or those around us. We're ready. We're willing. If you're a visitor to this church, this is what we've been saying each week. And this is what we will continue to say. We are a people that are ready, we are a people that are willing to exchange a self-indulgent life for a self-denying, life-transforming Christianity. That's what it is to be alive in Christ, to be a church alive. And so each week we've been adding to this. So a couple of weeks ago... We asked the question, or I asked you actually to consider a statement. Do you remember it? The statement was, we don't give up on each other. Remember that? I quoted a movie and it was a mistake. You don't quote movies, so I'm not quoting it again. Did I hear someone say, what one? No. No, the statement was simple, but it's true. We do not give up on each other. So if you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, that's our main passage this morning. But here's the thing. The relationship, this is where I left you the other week. The relationships that we have, we never abandon. Why? Because of the gospel message. Because of what the gospel has done, because of what the gospel has created. The gospel has brought us into an eternal family, hasn't it? We are what we call the forever family. And while we will not always get along, we will not always agree. We may even upset one another. We may offend one another from time to time. But we don't give up on family. This is essential to our lives. We don't give up on family. We don't abandon one another We have God-given responsibilities. That's what the gospel teaches us. God-given responsibilities, which is why last time we were together in this, we focused on the essential need, remember, of forgiveness within the family of God. Because without forgiveness in the family of God, without forgiveness being active within our lives, we simply splinter And as a family, we cease to be. 
That is true in the practical realm, is it not true? We see families splinter and cease to be all the time because unforgiveness rules within the hearts of the the family members, refusing to forgive, refusing to restore relationships. We see it all the time in the physical realm, but so it is true also in the spiritual realm. If we're not willing to forgive one another as blood-washed, blood-brought sons and daughters of the Most High God, Guess what? We cease to be, in a very real sense, as a family. So again, it was C.S. Lewis that wrote, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others. Why? Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. And Lewis was reflecting those words of the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul said of the body of Christ, the family of Christ, that we are to be, sounds so simple, doesn't it? Kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? Forgiving one another, it says, even as God in Christ forgave you, forgave us. It's a wonderful statement. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave us. And so we considered this. How did God in Christ forgive us? Well, he forgave us. I need to, I need to, to go over this again briefly. He forgave us by bearing the consequences of our sin against him. This is what it is to be a Christian, isn't it? He went to the cross in our place for the sin, and I'll say this slowly, for the sin that we perpetrated against him. Against him. For ultimately, all sin is against God, is it not? All sin is against God. And I don't mean to lessen a person that has been, uh, has, has been aff- offended or wounded by a sinning brother or sister. But ultimately, all sin is against God. Do you remember King David repenting after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba? You can read about it in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. He was repenting following his sin, his, his, his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, then to secretly order the death of her husband that he might then take her to be his wife. This is King David. And he was repenting, and we have that repentant heart in Psalm chapter 51, where he ultimately says this. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So all sin, small and great, is in the sight of God and ultimately perpetrated against God. It's rebellion against him. It is scorning him. It is despising his word to us. Because he has given us his moral law, hasn't he? He's given us his moral law, how we might live in relationship with one another. He's given that to us. And when we sin against one another, we are what? We are rejecting God's authority to govern us in our lives. We are saying we will not have you, God, to rule over us. And we despise him. 
We are rejecting him. We sin against him. So again, as Paul says, God in Christ forgave us by how? Bearing the consequences of our sin against him. He bore it for you. He suffered death for your sin and then he treated you. Let me do this again. He bore it for you. He suffered death for your sin and then he treated you how? He treated you as a precious child after doing that for you. After taking upon all the vileness of your broken humanity, I've taken every sinful thing upon himself, every defilement of innocence that has ever been perpetrated by any, any member of the human race, any thought that has entered into a person's heart that defiles that innocence. He took all of that vileness upon himself. He paid the consequences for it. And then he treated you, he treated you as a child, as his child. I think about that, you know. And that's an overwhelming statement, isn't it? Once having done that for us, this is what forgiveness is. Once having done that for us, he treats us as a beloved child. He treats us as a member of his family and he promises to never ever give up on us. Promises to never give up on us. What does Romans 6.23 says? It's for the wages of sin is death. But, most important but in the Bible, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we are called to forgive, are we not? In fact, we are commanded to forgive. And so we are commanded by God to forgive. How? How? We forgive one another even as God has in Christ forgiven us. Like Christ, we forgive those that have wronged us. How? Well, how did Christ do it? He bore the consequences for our sin, didn't he? And we forgive one another by bearing those same consequences ourselves. What do I mean by that? I mean that we don't seek retribution. If you say you've forgiven someone and then you go to seek retribution, no, you haven't forgiven them. We don't seek retribution. We don't seek to make them pay. We refuse vengeance. There are no verbal attacks coming from us. No, we're not constantly reminding them of what they have done against us. We're not belittling them. We're not giving innuendos all the time about who they have been and how they have insulted us. No, we are not gossipers. We're not slanderers against their character. We are not people who just display this harsh mercy by saying, okay, I'll forgive you but I'm watching you I'm watching you closely and you better never do it again no that's not forgiveness no we don't vilify we don't demonize in any form none of that none of that is forgiveness forgiveness means that I'm not out to make you pay for what you have done to me and it is a decision that I make 
And for some of us, it is a decision that we repeatedly make to bear the cost rather than seek revenge. It also means, as Hebrews tells us, that we don't allow a root of bitterness to grow within us. You know, in forgiveness, we choose We choose to keep ourselves from nurturing an inner attitude of resentment and hatred. We make that decision. Because if we don't, it will sit there like an evil root that will get into our hearts and bring corruption to our souls. No, but to the contrary to that, what are we? We are a people. This is what Jesus told us. We are a people who, yes, forgive. And in our forgiveness, we pray for one another. What did he say on the Sermon on the Mount? He said, love your enemies. He said, pray for those who persecute you. What's it all about? It's all about our original statement. We're family of God. We're brothers and sisters under the headship of Jesus Christ And we don't give up on each other. This is what forgiveness is about. We don't give up on each other. It's not about, forgive me for repeating myself again. It's not about abandoning our relationships. But even so, it must be said, I know there are relationships that are so broken. I've got to say this, that are so broken, they cannot and they will not be saved. I understand that. But true forgiveness has a willingness to try, has a willingness to go there. Because forgiveness is about seeking restoration or reconciliation, which is our next word that we're looking at this morning. What is reconciliation? Well, let me take you back. In the ancient society, well, it's the same today. It's the same. But in the ancient society, time of the Bible writers, society was classified or classified people into differing groups, right? No different, hey? No different today. There were the rich and the poor. There were the free and the slave. There were the female and the male. There was the black and the white. There were Romans and barbarians and and on and on it went, right? All these classifications, you know what they are? They're barriers. They're barriers between people that separate people. They divide mankind. Now, that's how man looks at one another. But from a theological point of view, there's only ever one division, one division in humanity when God looks at us. You know what it is? It is the Jew and the Gentile. Mm. That's how it is. It was the Jew and the Gentile. Why? It's because the Jew were God's chosen people. He chose them for a reason. He chose them for a purpose, to shine the light of his glory to all of humanity. But he chose them. He chose them and he gave them his word, didn't he? He gave them his law. He gave them his temple sacrifice, the the worship sacrificial system. And through them and through these things, the word and the system, he gave them the promise of a coming Messiah for all of mankind. That's why they're God's chosen people. There was purpose to that nation that was born out of Abraham's seed. 
While in contrast to that, the Gentile, what's a Gentile? Well, it's a non-Jew, right? It's us, most of us in this room. You know? But so the, in contrast, the Gentile nation were really were left to grope around in the darkness of our own self-styled gods. All of the false gods that men have created after their own image. That's what all the religions of this world are all about. And men are groping around in the darkness of it all, trying to find fulfillment, trying to find purpose, trying to find satisfaction. And when you think about that in its reality, the true and the living God chose this nation for this purpose. It only highlights the great privilege that they as a nation had being God's chosen people. But it was a privilege which God had purposed to reveal all of the barriers that exist between, or the barrier ultimately that exists between God, a holy, righteous God, and sinful mankind. Ultimately, that was what it was about. I mean, the temple worship itself, if you understand the temple worship, it reveals this. You know, it reveals this outside. If you went to the, the Old Testament temple, outside, uh, outside the temple, there was a yard. It was called the Court of the Gentiles. And the Jewish temple, you know, the very center of it was the Holy of Holies, wasn't it? Where the very presence of God dwelt and was worshipped and sacrifice was made at the very heart of the temple. But, you know, on the outside of that was this court of the Gentiles where the non-Jewish believers could come. But it was as close as they were allowed to come to the place of the presence of God. In fact, in that ancient temple... There, were, there was a warning written on the, above the entrance to the next courtyard, moving closer to the presence of the Holy of Holies. There was a warning up there that warned all Gentiles, if you come any closer, your own death will ensue quickly. In other words, you come through this barrier, you're putting your own life in danger. And that was as close as the non-Gentile, the non-Jew could go. It was the court of the Gentiles. But on the other side of that wall where that sign was, was another courtyard. And that was the courtyard of the women. And that was as close as the women could go. And beyond that, there was another barrier which led to the courtyard of the men, which is as close as the men could go. And they could only go so far until they came to another barrier, which entered into the courtyard of the priest. And the priest could go into that point, <coughs> excuse me, to that point, but only to the point where the high priest and only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies which typified the very presence of God, what's, what's there? Barrier, 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 isn't it? Not only keeping people away from God, but also keeping people separated from one another. But ultimately, the picture is to remind us of the holiness and the righteousness of God. And also the sinfulness of man. 
Now, I can say this, and we can look at this, and people go, oh, look. It's just another load of ancient Semitic tribal religious bunkum is what it is. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's God revealing the reality of mankind's situation. We were divided. We were divided. We were without peace. And we were separated from a holy God. But this is the wisdom of God, people. This is the wisdom of God's eternal plan to tear down every single barrier Ultimately giving all mankind access to his presence. Everything that God gave to the Jews in order to reverence him. Everything, everything about it that was there to define the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. It was all temporary. All of this, all of their celebrations, all of their holy days, all of their observances, everything about it, it was only temporary. And the Bible tells us, again, we come to the book of Galatians, all of it was, it was all simply a shadow. It was a shadow of the substance that would come in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. The entire sacrificial system that this privileged people observed, the entire system prefigured the cross of Jesus Christ that would make atonement for the sins of all of humanity. In his sacrifice, all of division is taken away. In his sacrifice, all of the barriers come down. And in it and through it, we all have now the great liberty through faith in Christ to be able to come into his presence at any time. That's what it's all about. That's what reconciliation is, you know? And so now, God has called, because of that work of reconciliation, God has called a new people to himself based on the promise of a new covenant. Remember, it was Jew and Gentile. Now there is a new people. Who are they? They are believers. They are Christian. That's what God has created through reconciliation. This was always God's plan. This was God's plan of reconciliation for both Jew and Gentile into one new people. There is no longer a court of the Gentiles, people. It doesn't exist anymore. There's no court of the women, there's no court of the men, nor is there a court of the priests. No, now in Jesus Christ, believers of all walks of life, of all stations of life, it doesn't matter where we come from, it doesn't matter who we think we are, we all equally stand on level ground at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And all because of that cross, we can all come into this immediate, don't you realize that? At any time, at any moment, you have this immediate and uninterrupted access to the throne of the creator of heaven and earth. That's what you have. You're a Christian. You're a beloved son and daughter of a holy God. And he will never give up on you because of that reconciliation. Look, this is what Ephesians chapter 2 is describing. We haven't read it, have we? Oh, we better read it. It's a few verses. But let's just now with that in mind, the, these verses I, I hope will make 
will be clear to you. I just want to pick it up in verse 13 because he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you too are being built Together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. What does this say about reconciliation? It's, descri- it's describing again the destroying of the barriers between us, removing dividing walls of hostility. Do you notice it said they're making peace. It says we're coming near, no longer treating others as foreigners and strangers. It's a death to all hostility. It's building a life together on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And so each week our question has been, well, what does this look like? What does this look like in a believer? So you got all that filed away? Well, first, let me say first, where there is genuine repentance, that's where we started, right? Uh, Forgiveness, sorry. Where there is genuine repentance, reconciliation is always possible with believers. Now, I'm talking about repentance now. We've talked about forgiveness, haven't we? Let me say this again. Where there is genuine repentance, reconciliation is always possible with believers, but it's not guaranteed. This is what I said to you earlier so briefly. Sometimes a person has been so wounded, so wounded, that yes, they can forgive. Forgiveness is always a possibility. Forgiveness, again, remember, is a command of God. And when God gives a command, he gives us the enabling, the power to be able to do so. But sometimes a person, again, can become so wounded that, yes, they can forgive, but they just cannot bring themselves to go back into that relationship again. And we have to say, that's okay. We have to say, that's okay. For we know even when God forgave us, 
When God forgave us, he doesn't promise that he's going to remove all the consequences of the sin from our lives, does he? He doesn't, does he? We must suffer the consequences of our choices. And sometimes a person can so inflict pain upon another person that that relationship is irrecoverable. Can't say that word. Anybody? Irreconcilable. Sometimes that relationship is irreconcilable. And again, we have to say, that's okay. And when a person finds themselves in such a broken relationship, they can't force themselves back into it, can they? You know, and that's when we as believers have to walk away and that's when we as believers can only pray for the one that we have hurt in the hope that one day they will find grace within their hearts towards their offender to be able to reach out. And that again is where we have to say it's okay. But again, where there is genuine repentance, I will say reconciliation is always possible in a believer's life. Because this is what reconciliation looks like. It looks like genuine forgiveness from the person who has been wronged. We understand what that is. And it looks like genuine repentance from the one that has committed the offence. Again, it's possible to genuinely forgive and to remain in an unreconciled way. And more often than not, that is because there has been no genuine repentance within the person that has offended. They just want to be able to walk back into that person's life as if nothing really happened. You have to forgive me. You're a Christian. Well, true. Reconciliation is, is the next thing, but... Look, example. I know that when Donna and I were going through our problems, I thought about this last night, it's now 33 years ago. I know that when we were going through our difficulties, I know that she was watching me from a distance. We had, we had broken, we had separated, we had gone our own ways and it was very messy, it was very venomous, it was an unpleasant, it was bad. But I now know that she was watching me from a distance. She needed to see, because things had taken place in my life that brought change. What were those things? It was Christ, wasn't it? And she needed to see she, with her eyes an experience for herself from that distance the things that she had heard about me. She needed to see that they were real. She needed to see that they were, cha- they were genuine. You know, I found that later on that... Um, that... She, well, actually, let me go further back. Let me go further back. Um, 
Okay, this is this is a. I got to be. I, I don't know how much to to share here, but I can remember sitting at our kitchen table, and um, we'd been together for seven years. We had two children, and I most certainly had not lived as a husband. I had lived as a boy, you know. We got married young, we started our family young, and after seven years, my wife sat across the table from me and said, I can, this is, I can see this, it's as vivid as it was this morning, sat across the table from me and said, I don't want to spend the rest of my life with you. you know? And with those words, my life was ripped out from me. You know? You see, she was saying, there's no way I'm going back to that person. She couldn't reconcile to that. There's no way I'm going back to that person. There's no way I'm going back to that relationship. You see, true repentance always is always evidenced by change. There's always a driving desire within the person that is repenting for their sin against someone to make things right, to put things right. The truly repentant person doesn't demand reconciliation. They can't. They take ownership of their sin. They seek to restore that which they have destroyed. It is visible. It is tangible. It is measurable. It's not just words. I'll say it again. It's visible. It's tangible. It's measurable. And it breaks down barriers of division. She sat across from the table from me and said, I will never or I do not want to spend the rest of my life with you. And guess what? 33 years later, she has never spent another minute with that person. Because Christ came in and radically changed me. As he radically changed her. It wasn't all one side. I've got to tell you that. No, no, no. I'm not allowed to say that. That's what God does. But there needed to be genuine repentance. I'll say it again. Visible, tangible, measurable. And that's what breaks down those walls of division in people's hearts when they can see it's real. It breaks down the walls that divide us. Just as Christ's sacrifice did the work to break down the walls that separated us from God, so too, this is why it's a supernatural work, so too does he continue that work in our lives. If we are genuine, if we are genuine in our forgiveness, if we are genuine in our repentance, God's work and desire, can I say this, is for his, for his people, is reconciliation. It's reconciliation within the body of Christ. Did you notice when we read Ephesians then, he said, we are now a part of the same building. We're part of the same building. 
He, he, he said in verse 21, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Christians, we are a new building. We are the temple of God, the Bible teaches us. We're all part of that same building. Or as Ephesians 4 would tell us, we're all a part of the same body. Ephesians 4 tells us this in verse 15 of Ephesians 4. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I love that imagery that Paul gives us, the whole body joined and held together and every part, every ligament growing, building itself up as we each do our part in this work of the body of Christ. And this is why reconciliation is so important within the body of Christ. You know, we always talk about forgiveness, don't we? And rightly so. But if we don't seek restoration, then this body that should be built up together becomes divided. Sure, we we forgive. But so many relationships within the body of Christ remain broken. Maybe even in this room, I don't know. So many of them remain broken. And we start giving up on one another. We come into church and we sing songs of praise and adoration towards this great God who saved us. But we don't have a growing relationship with this person and, and with that person, you know, and it begins to build like that until we get to the point where we start to think, well, maybe, maybe I'll just move on from this place. And behind us is this trail of relationships that have failed and are broken, people that we have given up on, people that we've given up on. And it's not what the body of Christ should be. The body of Christ cannot be divided like that. It cannot be. Because again, it is one body. We must grow together, Paul says, in unity. We can't have divisions against us. God sent his son to wipe those divisions away. Just try and visualize it with me for you, with me if you would for a moment. I'll, I'll finish with this. If you can just visualize this. People coming into church and they're walking around and they're putting up barriers between themselves and this person. And then barriers between themselves and that person. Because they don't want to have that relationship anymore. That person has offended them. That person has wronged them. That person has disrespected them. That person has ignored them. That person has whatever. And so we come in and we do this worship and we do all these things and we put this wall up. 
And then that person over there puts that wall up. And that over there is putting that wall up. And this wall up. And that wall up. And you know what happens? It's like we come into church and it looks like a modern day office building. You know what it's full of? It's full of little cubicles. And it's got a couple of people in each one. And the body's trying to grow like that. It can't happen. It can't happen. It's vital for the health and the growth of the church that we as believers... Look, I understand there are people, again, so broken. I understand that. I get that. And only the grace of God can change that. But we need to be a people that are willing to reconcile with one another. So the church become what the church needs to be. What does it look like? Well, can I go back again? He forgave you your sins by bearing the consequences of your sins that you sinned against him. He suffered death in your place and then he treated you as a beloved child. That's what it looks like. He treated you as family and he promised to never, ever, ever give up on you. So why? So that we don't ever have to give up on one another. Do you need to be reconciled today? That's the question this morning. This is what it looks like. It looks like genuine forgiveness that is observing genuine repentance. It's family not giving up on one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how, how wonderful and how glorious it is to know the acceptance that you have for us. To know that the rebellion that once drove our lives, the self-willed heart that not only resisted but fought against God just about on every front. And then to know that you forgave us and you loved us. And you made us your own dear children. And you brought joy into our hearts and the promise, the promise of destiny, the power of your presence to keep us, to watch over us. Oh, what a glorious thing it is to be your child. And we just thank you so much for what you've done. Lord, for us in this place and your church, Lord God, I pray that this reality would be reflected in our relationships one to another. Father, even as Steve reminded us, it's the love we have one for another that declares to this world that we know you, that we're members of your body, of your family. So Lord, let that light shine. The, sh- the light of restoration, the light of reconciliation, the light of healing, the light of a body that grows and fulfills its purpose in this community, not divided but rejoicing in the unity of God's Spirit, bringing life where there was once death. Thank you for it in Jesus' name.
work in our hearts, I pray. Amen.